All right, we are up and running for another Wednesday, December 13th, 2023, and we are in the book of Joshua, and uh, we're in chapter 5. Uh, last night at the jail, Tuesday night is jail night, and uh, Cameron was prepping for a funeral service that he was going to be doing today, so I was there by myself. And I shared with them what we did last week in here on Wednesday. So they got Joshua 4. And of course, um, you got a lot of 1 Corinthians 10. I believe that's where we were. Um, and then Romans 6. So they, they got uh, a little tiny bit different than what y'all got last Wednesday because it's always going to be a little bit different. Um, even... even uh, the uh, message that I did this past Sunday, you know, think about that. Do you remember it? The, the early and latter rain. Well, Cameron taught that the Tuesday before at jail, and I'm sitting there listening to him teach it, and I really liked it. And, he, and the notes that I had, you know, so it was different than what I normally would do. And so he just, he just pushed them over to me, said, you can, uh, you can have those notes. Now, I presented it quite a bit different than he did, and then he had preached that at his church this, the previous Sunday, so he did it on Tuesday at the jail. Then I took the notes, and uh, I read a lot more scripture than he did, and I had different things to apply. You know, it, so it was it was different, but it was the same basic outline, and uh, I just really liked it. And I wasn't planning on doing it until I heard all that rain coming down. And the more I listened to the rain, the more I felt like I should do it. So I did, and that's why you got that message last, this past Sunday. But uh, last night at the jail, after talking about Joshua chapter 4 and the two memorials that were set up, you know, the one in Gilgal, the, the 12 stones that are piled up at Gilgal, and then the 12 stones that were in the midst of the river, after talking about that, explaining what each one means and the importance of memorials or the things that we do as Christians today. See, those two memorials, I tried to uh, make you think about the things they did and the things they set up as a permanent reminder so that when generations came after, they would see it and ask questions about it. And I wanted us to think about uh, the two things that we do as Christians, and it's baptism and water, and then the communion service that we do, the taking the Lord's Supper, and how those two things are, the Lord required us. He, he said, this is what you do. So we do those things, and it's a memorial and we, as Christians, really need to know how to explain those two things properly. And most Christians don't understand the, the, those two things like they should. And uh, so I just wanted to challenge everyone to be able to use those two things, baptism and the Lord's Supper, to be able to communicate to people who don't know what those things mean to the church and what they mean to you, your personal testimony. And, uh, and we are to be lively stones. You know, those stones that were taken up out of the river, uh, 
you know, we individually are supposed to be lively stones that are a witness to what Jesus has done. So now we are in chapter 5, which means that we, we are at Gilgal, and, and in chapter 5, there's three main lessons in chapter 5. And chapter 5 is really not that long, but I'll be very surprised if we get through it. It's really not that long as far as, you know, how many verses. It's only 15 verses. But lessons from Gilgal. Joshua chapter 5. Hmm? It might be my title. Now, the title could be Preparing for Victory. Victory over what? The world, the flesh, and the devil. We're preparing for victory in chapter 5. That's what Gilgal prepares us for. It prepares us for victory. All right, so the nation of Israel has been freed from Egyptian bondage because of the Passover lamb. That lamb died, shed its blood. The death angel came over and really made an impression on the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, okay, I've had enough. You can go. Get out of here. They were freed from the oppression of worldly things. So they left a miracle passing through the Red Sea, and they should have went right on into the Promised Land. Eleven days later, they should have been walking through that Jordan and going into the Promised Land. But 11 days turned into 40 years. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done to set us free from the bondage of sin. All of our past sins, the penalty of our past sin has been taken care of, and we're free to leave that. And how long do we travel around in the wilderness before we finally understand the passing into through the Jordan is our identification with Christ. So we have the substitutionary death, but then we are told in Romans last week, remember what we talked about last Wednesday night? In Romans it says that we identify with Christ in passing through the Jordan and that we, we die the death that he died, we are buried with him, and then we are raised up in a miracle resurrection that only God can do. So the old man has been left in the grave. He's dead. It is crucified. And then the new man has come up out of that death to walk in newness of life. So, this chapter right here and, and Gilgal, remember uh, homecoming, the message that I did for homecoming. You remember that? What was it about? The message for homecoming was about Elijah and Elisha. Remember that? And how Elijah told Elisha, you stay here, I'm going to this place, and then I'm going to that place, and I'm going to that place. Well, Gilgal was one of those places, and remember, I've, I've mentioned 
that I could spend an hour preaching about Gilgal while I lied. I could probably spend two hours preaching about Gilgal and the meaning of it. And this chapter 5 right here is about Gilgal, that place where they had to all be circumcised because evidently at the end of their uh, stay in Egypt, they had kind of done away. You know how you, you can get to the point where you just forget to do certain things you're supposed to do, and they just kind of let things go, and then they go out into the wilderness, and they just, there's, so circumcision evidently was something that they started to neglect. They just didn't do it anymore. So they had that uh, Passover right before they left Egypt. Then there was, I think, a Passover at Kadesh Barnea. But then all the years of wandering, because that would have put them into the promised land if they would have come back with a good report, but they didn't, so they wandered in the wilderness. And evidently, everybody who was being born in the wilderness None of them were being circumcised on the eighth day. They had, for, they had, for whatever reason, they just weren't doing that. So if you're not circumcised, you haven't sanctified yourself, you're not under that covenant of uh, Abraham, then you wouldn't be allowed to participate in, in Passover. Now remember last week, we talked about it was the tenth day of the first month that they passed through the river. Now they're in Gilgal, and now they're going to... to participate in Passover, but something's got to happen before they are allowed to do it. So let's start reading in uh, Joshua chapter 5. And before I start reading, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I just pray that uh, this lesson tonight will help each and every person that hears it to be better able to understand that we are as Christians, we are to be prepared. We are to be spiritually prepared to do what you call us to do on a day-by-day, weekly basis as we go out to do the things that we know we're supposed to do as Christians that we would know that we must be spiritually prepared for victory. Thank you, Father. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. Well, you know, there's something to having a belief that you can have victory compared to people who are beat before they ever try. You see it in sports all the time. You see a team that no one thinks can win, and if the players on that team start believing what everybody thinks about them, then they lose. But if they don't, and they... they they get this uh, uh, attitude of, we can do it, and they have a positive attitude, they end up doing great things. Now, all of these people that are in the land of Canaan 
they have, are losing heart. They're scared. And they, are, they think they're de- defeated. Uh, I, I remember in, in uh, high school, it, we had uh, a wrestling team, and we had some state champions on that wrestling team. When I was in the ninth grade, I wrestled those guys. I really didn't have a whole lot of problems. They always beat me, but it wasn't like I was scared of them. They weren't all that, they weren't that mean. One of them was my weight class. So he, and, and, and we, would, we would do, just for fun, basically, we would do a, 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 what do you call it? Basically, you wrestle to see who gets to wrestle in the meet. And I would wrestle him, and I would do really good against him. He'd go out there and just beat the people that he wrestled from other teams really easily and was state champion. Then we had another guy who was younger. He was a little bit lesser weight class than us, and, and he had this look, and he was, he was one of the strongest guys. He was short, stocky, played football, but he was very intimidating to look at, and he had this, these eyes. that So whenever the, mat, the meet would start, all the, all the wrestlers from the other team would line up in order by weight class, and then uh, our school would do the same thing, and they would walk up, and he would stare across that mat with this look like, I am going to rip your head off when I get a hold of you. That's what he, that's what, and I would watch it, and I would watch the person across the mat drop their head and look at the floor. And I'd say, he's beat already. They haven't even got on the mat yet, and that kid is beat. And he was state champion year after year after year. And I wrestled him. He wasn't that good. But he had them beat mentally before they ever started. Um, Two. Wow, that was one of the longest verses ever. Verse one of five. Look at that. Verse two. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua... Make thee sharp knives. That sounds scary. And circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now that doesn't mean that one person, one male, gets circumcised twice. It's saying that this was something you used to do. It was set up, but you haven't done it in a while. So we've got to start over again. And this is the second time that we're going to start this process. Because none of the people, none of the boys and men now that have been, been wandering in the wilderness have been circumcised, and that's the first thing they got to do when they get to Gilgal, pile stones up and get ready for circumcision, so sharp knives. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the heel of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked Forty years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us 
a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. Now I know that that repeated over and over, I hope you got it. And I hope you understand it. If not, I'm not going to explain it too much. So, and it came to pass when they had done circumcising all had done circumcise all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. See, it would take some time to recover, right? And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away. Now, Gilgal means to roll away. This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. So they still had the reproach of Egypt on them until they did this process of circumcision. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Now, this subject of circumcision, where you need the sharp knives. In Deuteronomy, which we, you know, just went through the whole book of Deuteronomy before getting into Joshua. And when I got to Deuteronomy 10, 16, it says, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskins of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. So even in Deuteronomy, there is uh, this idea that there is something way more spiritual about circumcision than physical. Abraham, God and Abraham had a covenant, and then the sign of that covenant was circumcision. So, Abraham was circumcised so that he could have Isaac, so that him and Sarah could have relations so that she would get pregnant and bring forth Isaac. So, circumcision was an operation that God did to Abraham for his male member so that he could have Isaac. Because God waited until the point where Abraham and, and Sarah couldn't try the surrogate, which was Hagar. That wouldn't even work anymore. God waited until it was impossible for both, and then he did this surgery, this operation on, on uh, Abraham, and that was to be done to all the males. So a, a new baby was born on the eighth day, they go through circumcision. Now, there's a lot throughout the Word of God that talks about it, that talks about circumcision. We see a lot of it in the New Testament. Um, all right, I want you to all right, think about verse 8. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people, which that means all the males, that means all the men of war, and they're right there beside Jericho, their first battle, and they go through this process of being circumcised, so they basically disable all the fighting men from being able to fight for a period of time. that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole, till where they were healed, to where they could actually go out and fight. Now, this put them in a very 
vulnerable situation. If only the people of Jericho knew what was going on, they could have rushed out and wiped them all out before they could ever have a battle against them. Think about Genesis 34. Who was Leah's daughter that is mentioned? Huh? Dinah? Okay, you all remember her? Okay, in, in, in Genesis 34, they, they come to this land, and there's these people there that are Gentiles, and Shechem, was it Shechem? Let's make sure I'm pronouncing that right. He was a young, evidently like a young prince. He saw Dinah. He wanted her. He took her. And what, what does the Bible say? He defiled her. But he was falling. He fell in love with her, but he did something he shouldn't have done. He defiled her. He was a Gentile. He was an uncircumcised Gentile. And he took Dinah, which was, which was Leah's daughter, which means there's going to be six brothers. Actually, there's going to be f it's four. No, that was six. Four, and then two more later. So there's six brothers that are Leah's boys that are going to be pretty mad about that. When they found out about it, the boys were very upset. Jacob was upset. But Shechem wanted his dad, Hamor, to deal with uh, Jacob, and he wanted her to be his wife. He wanted Dinah. And they were basically like, wait a minute. They wanted to trade. Hey, we, we want your daughters, you can have our daughters, and we can just live together and everything be great. Well, it finally came down to this point of circumcision. It's, and, they, and they made an agreement with those people and said, if you, all of your men will be circumcised, then we'll do this. We'll, we'll make that covenant with you, and then you can have our daughters, we can take your daughters, blah, blah, blah. Okay? And they, I don't know if they were thinking, no way these guys are going to do this. But all of them did. The whole place, every male was circumcised. And then it says on the third day, of course, it was going to be the third day, when all the men were very sore, Simeon and Levi took their swords and went into that place and killed every male that couldn't defend himself. Just two guys went in and wiped all of them out. They went back on their word. I mean, they had, in their mind, justification for going in and defending their sister's honor. But they made a covenant. They, they made an agreement with those people. And they followed through with their end, but Simeon and Levi did not. And caused shame for the nation of Israel. There's a story about circumcision. And they are in that position right now where the people of Jericho could come out and easily take them out. But they don't even know. They don't even know. Remember when we first started Joshua, I said that the New Testament book that lines up really well with it, that kind of parallels it, and promises made, the, the, the blessings of God, the promises of God uh, to these people as they're getting ready to take 
what God has promised them, the, the, the promised land, is Ephesians. But also Hebrews, it matches up with it really well too. We've already talked some about what Hebrews says and how it matches up with a lot of what we've read already in Joshua. But Ephesians is that book of spiritual blessings for Christians today. So turn to Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to try to read kind of fast, and then I'm going to touch on some points, but I want, to, I want you to see the spiritual blessings. And I also want you to see that in, if you take part and you believe in the gospel message and what the book of Ephesians tells you, it, it's going to give you the recipe for having victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, as we go on through Joshua, you're going to see that when we get to Jericho, that Jericho is going to represent the world. Then the next battle after Jericho is this little tiny place called Ai, and they get whipped there. And it's, one, it's because of overconfidence. You know, when we get a, a, a good victory, Sometimes God has to put us back down to earth. You know, we get a little bit uh, big-headed, and God's got to put us back where we belong. So that's one reason. They were overconfident, and there was one person who sinned. And they didn't know about it, and when they went to Ai, they got beat. But see, Ai represents the flesh. It's just you, little, that one little person, and compared to the whole world, compared to Jericho, they were nothing. You, you don't think much of yourself. You're just one little person, and this universe is so big, and God's on the other side of the universe, and he probably can't see what I'm doing because I'm so small. Nobody else recognizes me. Nobody else pays attention to me. Well, I don't care if no one else pays attention to you. God is paying attention to you. Don't think that you're getting away with anything. Don't think that your flesh is not that big of an issue it will cause major defeat in your Christian walk if you don't get the Jericho victory right and do it exactly the way God says to do it, which is separation from the world. If you hang on to anything in the world, then you're going to have a very tough time with this battle against your flesh, which is you're supposed to believe that it is crucified, but if you live the Christian life and you don't take this flesh seriously, it will defeat you. And then there's a people that they came up after, they fixed the AI problem and finally got a victory there. Then they were supposed to take out the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites put on a play and they tricked Joshua. Now, that lines up with the devil. And why would I say that? The devil's sneaky. Very, very deceptive, yes. So the Gibeonites, they're a picture of the devil. So as we go forward, you have to remember those three battles as the world, the flesh, and the devil. So Ephesians is extremely important to us today that we get it so that we will have victory. We will be prepared 
for the victory that God has already made for us. The victory is ours. All we got to do is obey God and His Word, and it's already won. But yet we mess it up. So Ephesians chapter 1, I'm just going to start reading through Ephesians. We got all night. Don't we? Lois is like, I, what? I got to go home at some time. Okay. All right, we'll stop at some point. All right. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen the elect. Oh, all right, so if I mess up reading this, I need you to stop me, okay? According as he hath chosen the elect in him. I said stop me when I say something wrong. You know, it says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5, having predestinated the elect, what? Oh, sorry. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made the elect accepted in the blood. What? Oh, it says us wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us, huh, in all wisdom and prudence. All right, I'm reading more carefully now. I'm going I'm to slow down a little bit. I'm going to read more carefully. Having made known unto us, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that word is in the Bible. That's just, is that a mistake? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together. Now, if you don't understand why I'm making fun of dispensation right there, good. I'm glad you don't know. But there are some people that will listen to this that will totally understand. That's why I'm doing it. Of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. See, you have to hear it. You have to read it for yourself. You have to hear it preached. You have to hear somebody talk about it. You have to hear it. The word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Who's going to break that seal? I mean, you're sealed by the Holy Ghost. Once you believed the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, then you're sealed, which is the earnest of our inheritance. See, the, the land that they were going into was their inheritance. These spiritual blessings that we have been promised is our inheritance. Are we going to take it? Or do we ever even know? I mean, wouldn't it be a sad thing if you were homeless and a rich uncle passed away and you were the only one left and he left all of his inheritance to you? But you never got the word and you died homeless, but you were a millionaire? Wouldn't that be terrible? Well, that's what's happening to so many people. They've got this inheritance, but they've never claimed it. No one's told them about it. They haven't went looking for it which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Jesus did all the purchasing. He did all the work. 15, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. See, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. It's right there. Cease not to give thanks. So there he, Paul, he, he ceases not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, because if you hear the word, you're going to be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word, us word, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in the, this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, now here's uh, chapter 2, and when I get to 2 and 3, I'm going to you, you pay very close attention to verses 2 and 3 and remember what I said about victory over. We need to be preparing for victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. See it? World. According to the prince of the power of the air, there's the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our way of life in times past in the lust of our flesh. You got the world, the devil, and the flesh right there. 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, some people will take this verse and say, see there, we have a sinful nature, because it says it right, it says something about our nature. And no, it says, and were by nature the children of wrath, because when you walk according to this world, and you walk and live according to the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil, and if you uh, live by the lust of your flesh, then that's just what's naturally going to happen. You will suffer the wrath of God. You know, if you, if you work in the coal mines, you die early from black lung. Why? Because that's just what happens to those who worked in the coal mines. We, we suffer the consequences of what we choose to do. But God, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, remember last week we talked about identifying, being identified with Christ. Our identification needs to be in Him. So you see the death, you died with Him, you were buried with Him. He was in the grave three days. So you were in the grave three days. Then He was resurrected by the Father. That means you were resurrected by the Father. That's three things right there. Three different things. But look here. In 6 of Ephesians 2, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That means you're sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's four. Four things that you cannot show anybody that has happened. You, you can't prove to anybody that you died when Christ died. You can't prove that you was in the grave with him for three days. You can't prove that you were resurrected back to life with Him, and you definitely can't prove that you're in heavenly places right now with Him at the right hand of the Father. Do you believe it? It's a spiritual blessing. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And now, has he offered that gift to everyone? So far, it was us, 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 us word. He's offered it to everyone. Does everybody take it? Does everybody receive it? No. Remember, he uh, knocks at the door. Revelation 3.20, Jesus is knocking at the door. He wants you to answer. He wants you to receive him. He's not breaking the door down, coming in and grabbing you and making you go with him. He knocks. Verse 9, Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So don't get that backwards. Don't do good works to get saved. You do the good works because you are. And it won't even seem like a work. 
Now, if you're trying to get favor, your works will feel like works. But under the power of the Holy Spirit, your works will be, you don't even think about them because that's who you are now. If you're not saved and you're trying to do good works to be religious, to be accepted by the church member, all those things, it'll be a work to you. It'll be a struggle. You'll have to make yourself do them. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who, here we go, are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. So that was the Jewish nation. It was, it was a circumcision made by hands. It was a physical thing that was done, but it had way deeper meaning. So the nation of Israel, they're like, hey, I'm circumcised, so that means I'm better than everybody else. They started looking at the sign and they were not looking at the person who gave them the sign. Twelve, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. So when you were a Gentile, not part of the promises of God, this is what you were. When you were outside of the grace of God, then you were uncircumcised, you had an uncircumcised heart. You were strangers from all the covenant promises. You didn't know anything about them. You had no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one. Now, we haven't replaced Israel, but he's made both one. We're all the children of Abraham as far as being... uh, He's he's our father in the faith. We we want to be the children of Abraham, Abraham because of the faith. So, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. You know, in the uh, NIV, which we don't talk about that one much anymore, but there's several places in the NIV, the New International Version or the New Inaccurate Version, however you want to say it, it says, for many places where you see the word flesh in the New Testament, it, cha- it takes flesh out and it puts in sinful nature. Try doing it right there. It's the same Greek word, sarks. This is talking about Jesus. If they would have been consistent and changed every time where it says sarks in the Greek, which means flesh, just this flesh that you know, could bleed or burn or whatever, Having abolished in his sinful nature the enmity. It's talking about Jesus here. Jesus, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both 
unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. So who's that? The ones that were far off was the people that were not the elect, the chosen of God, and then the people who were nigh, that was the elect, who many did not make it. But what? I thought if you were one of the elect, you were definitely going to make it. Nope. Many died in the wilderness. All had to die in the wilderness. We have just story after story throughout all of that wandering of people dying, and they were the elect of God, chosen by God, and they were lost. They went to hell. Sometimes they didn't even have to die before going there. The earth opened up and swallowed them up. So them that were nigh, that's the Jewish people. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You are a walking temple that houses the Holy Spirit. All right, since we started late, it's not time to finish yet. Chapter 3. And as soon as I get done with this, we'll be at least halfway done. Nah, sorry, Lord. We'll be done. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation, there it is again, of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. See, all that was hidden from the Jewish nation. Which in other ages was not made known. So that could actually be dispensation again. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints in this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. See, 
God in his foreknowledge knew that we would need a Savior to come to this earth. He predestinated all that to happen way before the foundations of, of the world. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to, the strength, strengthen, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and height. Four dimensions. It's, I thought it was just three dimensions. Well, we died with him. We were buried with him. We were raised up with him. But then there's a fourth dimension. We're seated at the right hand of God right now. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And there's what? Three more chapters to go, but we have an amen right here. That's a, that's, that's a place to stop. Y'all are like, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for putting the amen right there. And you see how all of that is critical to understand to be able to prepare for victory over the three things. And it's the only th three things that you're going to ever have issues with. The world, the flesh, and the devil. There's nothing else that's going to cause you problems. Any problems you have are going to be under those three headings. Sharp knives take care of it. Sharp knives. <clears throat> so next week we will be talking about old corn and the captain of Jehovah's host. And those are the three things that are in Joshua chapter 5. The first nine verses has dealt with everything I talked about. <clears throat> and we've got, it's too bad I ran out of time because we got uh, something in Colossians to read. Romans 2, if you want to read it yourself, uh, Romans 2, 25 through 29. Y'all got that? Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. If you read that, then I won't have to next week. So read it. And then Colossians chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 14. That's really good. And you're going to see circumcision in both of those. And then uh, Philippians, I'll read this one because i got it wrote out here. It's just one verse. Philippians 3.3 3 says, For we are the circumcision, which worship, worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence. Anything we can do, any good, I don't care how good it is, anything we do good, we have no confidence in it whatsoever. But the only reason we can do anything good in the flesh is because we worship God in the Spirit and we rejoice in Jesus Christ, our Savior. <clears throat> so, verses 10, 11, and 12, are going to deal with the old corn and Passover. And then the last verses, going to 15, is when we, uh, we are introduced to the captain of Jehovah's host, or his armies. If you, if you just think about it, Joshua was out. He had a big thing coming up. I mean, he's looking at Jericho. Impossible. He's out there all by himself. You know, before that great victory in Jericho, there was a man who was the leader of the people who was out by himself, all alone. And God shows up. And Joshua was a brave man. He saw that figure, and the sword was drawn, and Joshua walked right up toward him. Are you with us, or are you for the enemy? Are you for us, or are you for our adversary? It was Jesus Christ himself. And as soon as Joshua realized it, he falls on his face. You need a leader who will fall on their face when they're all alone and get guidance from the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I just pray that each and every person <clears throat> who listens to this will be wanting to learn your ways. Father, to get into your word, to pray that they will see the deep meaning of it and that we will all be better prepared, spiritually prepared, for the victory that you have given us, but we are required to go and take possession of our inheritance. Father, you've shown us the way. I pray that we will be a people who will trust in you and obey your ways. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.